The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tony Messia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn. In his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. I'm Steve Dunn, and I'm joined today by Jennifer Sakai, founder and CEO of Caregiving Corner. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. What does Caregiving Corner do? We are advisors for families who are dealing with challenges related to caregiving. So we are a company that is made up of social workers and nurses, and we bring our skill sets to families that are really struggling to understand how to plan for care, how to pay for care, and how to identify what their loved ones actually need. So we're sort of the advisors that help people navigate the entire long-term care system. Prominently displayed on your website is the term aging life care manager. This is a, it's a profession. It's got an association and it seems like an important service. What does an aging life care manager do? An aging life care manager, the, the tagline for that with our national association is that we are experts in aging well. And that's probably the best way to summarize what we do because every client we meet with has a completely different idea of what success in aging looks like. Some people are focused on quality of care. Some people are focused on being near family. Some people are focused on longevity. And so we're stepping into that client's space and walking the journey with them to prioritize, help them identify what they can do to prioritize what their goals of care are. So an aging life care manager is someone who helps them navigate that entire process. It strikes me on your website that you're reaching out to a bunch of different categories of people and kind of saying, hey, you know, this is what we can do for you. And some of it is sort of what I would expect. It's like individuals who are getting older or family members of right. individuals who are getting older. But then there's a section that says like, hey, maybe you're a lawyer or you're a financial planner or you yourself are the owner of a home health agency, something like that. And it's interesting to me the way that you're the way that you're reaching out to different professions and people who are intersecting with aging people in different ways suggests that you're there as a resource who can sort of be in the center of a web of uh, individuals and entities that are involved in a person's care. And but I wonder what that's like as a business person, having so many different constituencies that you're interfacing with. Yeah, it, it, it is a little bit challenging. I mean, the good thing is, is that now as compared to when I started the business, at least people are thinking about aging and talking about aging a little bit more than we were, you know, 18 or so years ago. So it's something that people when you say so and so is a caregiver, now people understand what that means. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't as prevalent. So being able to say to these other professions, we can be a value add when you are working with clients who are dealing with this is is really key, particularly when it's someone like another professional, an attorney or a financial advisor whose job is to help the family, you know, be able to answer those sets of questions, but 
though, you know, being able to address financial concerns means that you need to have a pretty in-depth knowledge of the cost of care and how Medicare works and what it pays for and what it doesn't and when to use long-term care insurance. And so those nuances are what we're good at. And so coupled together, you know, coming together as a team, we can really help help that attorney or that financial planner actually serve their clients a little bit better. Same thing with home care agency owners or other care providers in this in this industry. We want to be able to support their clients by answering the questions when people get stuck, when they're dealing with difficult, you know, things specific to their situation, we want to be able to be the ones that find the answer for them. And and in the end, that really serves the client, you know, the aging adult, the best. You have an educational background in this very area, right? You're yes. a graduate of UNC Charlotte and, or Charlotte, right? as it is now known. And you have a degree in gerontology, yes. right? And so I'm curious how your career path tracks your educational path, which is not always to be taken for granted with everybody that you meet. I wonder how you got interested as a much younger person in this type of work and then how how it's been for you pursuing this as a career. Yeah. So when I was in graduate school, I was looking at the different careers that, that came along with a background in gerontology. Gerontology is not becoming a gerontologist, which is a medical doctor. So a lot of people mistakenly (laughs) think that I can cure all their ails. But so it's a psychosocial focused program. And so it's really looking at the family dynamics and, again, kind of how the agencies and the providers work with families and clients to meet the needs of people who are aging in our communities. And when I was in graduate school, my mom was the caregiver for my grandmother, for her mom. And I really saw her struggle with needing to have one person who could sort of be the repository of the information about her mom and could help her save a lot of time and effort on finding the answers to her questions. You know, so she had a pretty typical caregiver experience where she would call an agency and say, here's my question. And they would say, well, we don't do that. Call this place. And 10 calls later, she was in tears and didn't have the answer that she needed and was frustrated. And that is the experience that so many family caregivers have. Or they they call five places and they get five sets of information and none of them actually apply to their loved one. <laughs> so I looked at that and thought there's got to be something out there. And and I that's kind of how I stumbled across the profession, which is not new. It's very small and not very well known, but it's not a new profession. At the time, it was being referred to as geriatric care management. And so I knew that that's what I wanted to do ultimately. But I also knew that because I was very young and new in this industry, in this space, that I had to get jobs that would put me in the middle of the service providers to understand in Charlotte specifically, who are the providers, who are the service, the services that are serving you know, these clients? How does the money flow from the Older Americans Act to the local area agency on aging? And what do those programs look like? So I needed to know all of that. And so I took a job with a service provider and ended up taking another job that was based on a hospital with a different kind of service provider so that I could learn more of the medical piece of things. And the whole time I was kind of building the business plan for Caregiving Corner in the background and then just got the wild hair that it was the right time to do this. And 18 years ago, Yes, right? Yes. Caregiving Corner, has it always had the same name? Yes. Caregiving Corner mm-hmm. begins 18 years ago as we sit here in 2023. And 
it's a there's something very different from working for somebody having a job versus going out on your own and launching a business it's a big step it's not for everybody even among the community of people who think it might be for them it's really only for a small subset yes (laughs) of them but you're one of them you are one who not Mm -hmm. only you you thought about it you're building toward it you sort of move strategically into it from education to job selection and now you've actually done it have you always been this way have you always had an entrepreneurial streak i think i have i watched my my dad own a business growing up and so you know, seeing his hard work pay off in the background and being a part of that and seeing him be able to craft for our family some flexibility for being able to spend time together. It was interesting. He traveled when I was young, but my memories are of all of the times we were together, not of when he was he was missing. So for me, the concept of entrepreneurship was embedded kind of early and was a was something that I saw as very positive and I felt like it was something that I could do and could tolerate. It, it didn't come without challenges, but but yeah, I got there. <laughs> well, the healthcare system is impenetrable to normal human beings. And, and this is part of the reason why you have opportunity, because yes. if you can understand it and navigate within it, there's value there. People right. need that. And even people who are motivated and smart and educated have a hard time Absolutely. doing it on their own. So there's a market for it. But it's an interesting situation that you find yourself in where you're, it's one part human services, you're intersecting with people who are a lot of times in a moment of uncertainty or crisis when they come to see you for the first time. But it's also a business and you need to keep the lights on. And so I wonder, first of all, I'm kind of curious who the clients are. You you sort of serve a lot of different types of people, but I wonder who's who's actually paying you and how that works. And then also just how you... What your experience is in doing work that is is remunerative and keeps the lights on and pays the bills, but also I assume is meaningful and important in helping people too. Yes, absolutely. So the client is always the older adult for us. There are definitely times when we recognize that the adult children of that person are really in a bind or are dealing with caregiver burnout. And so in some cases, we're doing more to help them than we are the actual older adult in terms of bringing resources and ideas of how to alleviate that caregiver burden. But in in the end, we're always focused on what is best for the older adult and and what they need. And and again, focusing on what their goals of, of care are. And you're absolutely right. It is it is incredibly meaningful work. My, as hard as our job is sometimes and as sad as it can be, because obviously we're dealing with families making difficult decisions, family conflict, a lot of difficult conversations that people are having. And then, of course, end of life. And we're, we're with clients in, until they pass. And so that's that's challenging. But it is very it is very soul filling work. And we we really approach this that, you know, to the rest of the world, we're one person, but to that one person, we could be the world. That I forget who said that quote, but that's something that really resonates with all of us. We we could be the best thing that's happened to our client that week when we walk in the door. So we we definitely have, even though it is a for-profit profit business and the client or the client's family has engaged us and is paying for our time, we, we want to bring value and meaning to every interaction that we have with that client or their family. Well, there's a need for it. There's a market for it. And I'm sh- I hope that at least most of your folks are, are happy to pay for the value that you provide. You know, speaking, I think I've, my own experience is probably not unlike that of many in which I had a, 
I had a relative who had an extended hospital stay not long ago, and here I am. I'm a lawyer, mm -hmm. and my wife is a physician. And between the two of us, we still were completely baffled right. by all the insurance and all the and, and one of the services that you describe is being an advocate in the healthcare system itself, and what an important role that might be. Our you know our experience is that we, we just couldn't even figure out who was in charge. Like who right. was calling the shots at the hospital? Like, whose decision was it <laughs> right. about any aspect of things? So I wish I'd known you then. I'm <laughs> glad I know you now. And I just wonder what you think about the, I mean, it's wonderful that you're there to help, but do you ever marvel at the complexity of the systems that are in place regarding healthcare, particularly with respect to aging? Every, every day. And, and what I tell people is that if the healthcare function, if the healthcare system functioned properly and, and served, and as a society, we prioritized older adults, my job would not exist you would not need a care manager. And that's really how healthcare probably should be set up is that you don't need to be, you don't need to have to come out of pocket to pay someone to help you understand very basic principles of who's making the decision at the hospital and who, what is Medicare going to pay for and how, you know, how does this work when I go into a rehab community, you know, after a hospital stay. So it shouldn't be like that. But the reality is, is that it is. And for an increasing number of people, you know, you mentioned you and your wife, but think about if if the person, your loved one that was in the hospital didn't have anyone who was even in a position, that, that they themselves as the patient were responsible for, you know, making decisions, communicating, knowing which nurse walking in the room was actually the nurse that they needed to be telling different things to and all of that. And, it, you know, that's when the advocacy part comes into play, because when you're in the hospital, you don't, you don't, you're not in the mindset to be making decisions or communicating or being able to kind of see where the direction of things, you know, where this is headed, how, what is it going to take to get you back home? What is it going to take you to get back to the assisted living or, you know, whatever that looks like for the person. So it, it is, it's a very convoluted, it's very complex and it really shouldn't be. We wish we didn't have the job for that reason, honestly. There's a lot of things that you do that are different from the work that I used to do as a lawyer, but there's one thing that is very similar and that is that, I wish that people would come and see me when everything was going pretty good. <laughs> but most of the time when people came to see me, it was because something had gone wrong. Right. And I imagine in your situation, a lot of times that's folks who are encountering a new challenge in life, whether that's a hospitalization or a death of a spouse, a, a life change circumstance that can be frightening. Mm -hmm. And so it's it can be emotional and traumatizing, but also presents a whole host of practical challenges that have got to be dealt with. And so I wonder what you think about when would you love for people to come to see you and what's it like most of the time when people actually do? I, I would love for people to come to us when they are planning, when they are not in crisis, when they are thinking about retirement or are just starting their retirement journey. It, you know, if, if you think if you think about someone's, you know, income and retirement, getting them through their aging years, your your wealth is declining. I mean, in some cases, I guess it's it's holding steady. That's the idea. But, but it's declining as you're spending money. And ideally, we'd want to talk to the people when they have the most options and the most buying power as aging consumers to let them know about all of the different options for their care. 
And even having the conversation of just for planning, this is what it costs to have someone in your home 24 hours a day. And you're healthy and you drove to this appointment, so you don't need it today. So let's figure out what that might look like 15 years from now and imagine that cost. And so having those conversations ahead of time could certainly be you know, helpful for the person. I, I think the other thing, too, is that if you're waiting until a crisis, there is a greater and greater possibility that you're going to make decisions in a in a way or in an order that causes problems down the road. So we see this if people are trying to change levels of care or if they're needing to access government benefits like Medicaid or if they're using long-term care insurance. So there's just a lot of kind of nuance and detail to people's circumstances that for us to be able to see on the outset when there's not a crisis is more helpful for us to be able to alert them to different things that might need to happen at specific times. So for planning, you know, definitely that's key. And we're seeing more of that. I would probably, I would say that we're seeing more of that with our solo senior program, that demographic, the people that are widowed or single by choice later in life, child-free, who don't have the normal family makeup of children or other people around them who can help them make decisions. And they're deciding for themselves, hey, I want to be proactive about this. I want to have these conversations. I want to know who my person is. And those are great conversations for us to have because while the person is still able to tell us over a series of you know visits, we're able to collect such rich information about what their preferences are that we know that in, in the end, when they're going to need us the most, we're going to have no problem making decisions for them or with them to make sure that they've got the best aging experience possible. It sounds like planning in this way is a lot like financial planning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really planning for the future, but in, in specifically related to healthcare and aging. Yes. Um, let's say that you're talking to a former lawyer who's <laughs> now working as a mediator, who <laughs> recently turned 50, and is just wondering, what should I be thinking about? Someone who who has life insurance and who has been through an experience with family where, you know, that kind of brought these issues to the fore and knows that they exist, but also isn't really envisioning oneself. I mean, whoever envisions their own decline? Right. Have you, does anybody, have you, (laughs) if they don't come to see you? I don't think so. And even the people that know that it's going to happen. I mean, I think everyone has this idea that they're just going to go to sleep and not wake up. And so what they're ignoring is the very high probability that they're going to have months, if not years, of what what researchers call morbidity, this period of kind of slow dying. Low mobility, sort of not able to get around exactly. very much, sort so of you, maybe not feeling so good either. Exactly. Right? So needing care, not feeling well, having lots of chronic conditions start to pile up, loss of mobility where you're starting to lose different, you know, uh, different things that are kind of key features of your independence. So you're no longer able to drive. Maybe you're no longer able to manage your your own money without assistance. So this whole drawn out period is is the piece that no one wants to think about. Because... So let's say we're thinking about it. We're confronting them mm-hmm. head on. You and this hypothetical mediator <laughs> who I've just described, right? Hypothetical, like, right? What are the what are the types of things that someone like that ought to be thinking about? It sounds like you know some of them are about where do you want to live? Like that might be something basic. Like what else? What are the big ticket items to to start thinking about? I would say definitely an examination of whether or not you want long-term care insurance. People that work in the industry are big fans of it, but it you know it is expensive. There can be barriers to entry for that. 
But I would definitely be having a conversation with an insurance or financial advisor to get some quotes on those policies, because we have seen those be absolute lifesavers for some people being able to to tap into those policies to pay for care. So I would say definitely. I'm going to jump to the conclusion that mm-hmm. like sooner is better yes. on that. Like the younger you are, the healthier you are, the better off you're going to be in yes. terms of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then I would say the other thing is, you know, start thinking about who you want your your team to be. You know, do you want, if you have children, do you, is is there a child that you gravitate more towards as being, a, you know, financially responsible that you would kind of want that person to be a backup financial advisor or financial decision maker for you. You know, I think a lot of people, if they are married, they end up just kind of assuming, well, we'll we'll help one another. So what we see happens and where a lot of crises start to occur is that, you know, mom names dad and all the documents, dad names mom and all the documents, but then one of them passes away and they don't have any backups. And so, you know, having those conversations with the attorney to think, Let's name a spouse, but maybe also if there's, you know, a, an adult child that you would feel comfortable with that responsibility down the road. So, you know, doing some of those planning, you know, your medical provider, are you happy with your doctor? You know, do you need to make changes? Do you want to switch to a concierge format practice where you've got more, you know, as you're dealing with more possibly chronic conditions, do you want to have better access to a medical provider that can spend more time with you? You know, so what are what are the priorities that you're looking for? in in kind of all aspects of retirement. So a lot of people think, well, like, well what are you going to do during retirement? You know, well, I'm going to go play golf. Well, okay, that's fine. But <laughs> what about all the other stuff? So where do you want to, you know, so where do you want to live? How are you going to pay for your lifestyle? What are you, what's important to you? What are your core values? Is it important that you're living near a child? You know, Charlotte's a city full of transplants. And so we have a lot of people that moved here because their their adult child moved here for work. And so maybe they didn't intend to be here and didn't, plan for this move, you know, hopefully it's a it's a easier cost of living for them here than maybe where they came from. But, you know, thinking through some of those things, do you want to stay put because this is your home or do you see yourself moving to where your children or extended family are? So some of those decisions, you know, thinking ahead to those, again, not committing to anything, but just thinking through some of the different scenarios. Some some people will go so far as to be very specific. You know, I I want to be, they'll document, you know, their preferences. I want to be cared for at home. I do not want my spouse to have to do X, Y, Z. So when that time comes, I am happy for my family to find appropriate placement for it's me. It's really helpful though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like that's exactly the sort of thing that, and it, and it seems like the sort of thing that it really behooves us all to sort of dig into it before it's imminent and so that it's not as fraught. Right. And it not only is better for the person to guarantee that you're more likely to get what you want if you're able to be specific about it, but I can't tell you how many family situations we've walked into where there's a crisis and the family caregiver's biggest angst is that they are not sure they're doing the right thing. And they can't get around the, I don't know if this is what mom would want, or I don't know if this is what dad would want if he were capable of making these decisions. And the gift of giving your family that information ahead of time and permission to do things like place you in a care facility, if a care community, if it's time for that down the road, that 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 seems like something very small. But I can tell you that working with families, that is emotionally for them, very huge baggage for them to carry and can be such a gift for them to know ahead of time. Very similar conversations to end of life. Yes. Conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the absence of 
guidance from our loved one does loving this person mean we gotta like try everything are we gonna are we gonna like prolong this person's life as long as possible is that the way that we do the right thing or are are there other things and the more that's been communicated in advance the better do you have conversations about end of life we do we do i i think it's it's something that in our society that i wish was more normal for us to talk about the death and dying experience and what that's like because it's so juxtaposed with the healthcare system and what you experience when you go into the hospital. And so not that that's bad, but that you just reach a time, particularly as we are serving as advocates for our clients, where we have to step in and say, this is not what this client wants. They have made it very clear in their documents or conversations. And you really do have to work very hard to stop the forward motion of the healthcare system in fixing people if that is in not in keeping with with what their goals are. So, you know, talking to families about hospice and palliative care and what those services offer and what that experience can be like, but also honoring the people that do want to, you know, continue with chemotherapy treatment or, you know, be very aggressive about things. Everybody's got a different a different approach when it comes to their own health care, but we just, as familiar as we and the family can be with that, that will help everyone be on the same page when there when there is a crisis and we're dealing with the healthcare system. Well, you've just recently announced a partnership with the Ivy. What is the Ivy and what are you doing together? Yes. So the Ivy is an adult day respite program and they have a focus on brain health. And one of the things that's great about this partnership is that you know, we were we were just talking about end of life and I think sometimes the focus on aging is all of the things that we're losing. And there has been sort of a renaissance of sorts lately in research about how your brain can actually get healthier. And so the IV through brain health workshops and through respite program is really trying to continue to be a community partner for family caregivers and for people who want to take a more proactive approach in addressing brain health and lifestyle changes that they can make, that you and I can make today, anybody can make at any age, that scientifically have been proven to have a positive impact on brain health down the road. So for our organizations to come together, you know, and collaborate is is a wonderful thing because we're focused on trying to get people to have these conversations and be proactive. And the people that come to us with that mentality are great candidates for being receptive to the science that's gaining traction and more visibility that there are things that you can do to to better to improve your brain health. You know, we there's no cure for dementia yet, but if you can do things preventatively to delay the onset, again, thinking about, you know, people plan for retirement, they're planning for their active years. They're not thinking about the period of decline. So if you can do things to delay that onset of decline, I think everyone would agree that that's what they would choose for themselves. So it's nice to be able to partner with an organization where there's a sense of positivity about the messaging and the approach that they that we can be hopeful about what's available to family caregivers and what's available to people who want to have a more proactive approach to aging going forward. And one of the things that we our specific collaboration is a program called While You Wait. One of the things that we have found is that increasingly there are fewer and fewer medical providers who are going into 
the space of serving older adults, whether it's a, a geriatric practice or neurology, the, you know, the specialties that serve primarily older adults. And so we're seeing some people that are waiting, you know, four to six months for an initial appointment. And so we're coming together with the Ivy to really try to address some of the initial pain points that a family might be experiencing while they're in that holding pattern, waiting for the healthcare system to, you know, produce that appointment that they that they desperately need for a diagnosis or for, you know, clinical perspective on the situation. So we want caregivers to know there are things that we can do to assist while you wait in that interim period so that you can feel supported and kind of feel like you've got the process started towards making improvements in the situation instead of, you know, that hurry up and wait pattern that so many people fall into with healthcare. How long you lived in Charlotte? Well, I was born here. Yeah. I didn't I didn't grow up here. I was born here and then grew up in Asheville. Got it. A short short stint in Greenville, South Carolina, and then grew up in Asheville and then came back for college and never left. What an interesting perspective you have then. As, yes. As someone who's a you just you just tell people you're born in Charlotte and they'll think you've lived here the whole time. Yes. Right? Yes. So, and yeah. Yeah. So you came back from college, you've been here ever since. You worked for a little while and then you started your business and mm-hmm. here you are. You're firmly planted in Charlotte, yes. it sounds like yeah. for now. Uh, what have you noticed about Charlotte in the time since you started your business? Well, I, I, you know, obviously the, the growth, that's what everybody can point to. And my mom being a Charlotte native, every time she comes to the area, that's certainly something, you know, she, she was here until she was 25 or so. So she certainly sees the differences. I, I do think we may, we, we have made a lot of strides in the space of aging overall. I feel like we have a good diversity of providers. We have a lot of services compared to, you know, other communities that are similar in size to Charlotte. So I feel like we have a lot to offer. I I think those of us that are uh, aging advocates are always going to feel like we're a little bit behind the the curve as far as anticipating this, because all of us that, that are in this space from an educational perspective know that this, you know, wave of older adults is is coming. It's it's now upon us with baby boomers aging. And so there's a lot we probably could have done the last 15, 20 years to be better prepared. But there, I, I, there are a lot of providers coming together. AARP is one of the entities in the community that's leading the charge of trying to kind of organize providers and figure out where is their duplication, where are their holes, you know, how can we go after funding, communicate to city council, county commissioners about what the most dire needs are of this population. So it's, it's, it's been fun to see that evolve over the years and to see people be more receptive to making changes within the community that really will hopefully enable older adults to remain independent and in an independent environment, whether that's a home or apartment for longer. But there's still there's still lots that we could do and, and lots that we will need to do because the, we, we continue again to have people that relocate here to be close to family. And so we, we're definitely an area that's that's great, you know, has a growing aging population. Speaking of an aging population, you and I, as we sit here today, are an aging population. Yes. We continue to age <laughs> at a very predictable rate without stopping day by day. And I've noticed in life that there are a lot of things that you imagine in advance, but you never really know what it's really like until it actually happens. Right. And aging is a process. It's not a one-time event, but it's something that we're always doing all of the time. I wonder as an 
aging, as someone who works in aging advocacy, how you reflect on your own journey through life. You're not you're not as young as you were when you started this business 18 right. years ago, and you're certainly not done. And you seem to be you know in good shape as far as I could tell. Yeah. But but at the same time, you're it's you're not the same person that you were then, and you're a professional person, but you're still a person. You're right. looking at it from a detached perspective, but also from the perspective of the human being that you are. And I just wonder what that is like for you. Yeah. This job has definitely shaped my preferences when I think about, you know, when when we deal with different client situations that are that are struggles, I sometimes walk away and think, ooh, I, I need to write that down. I need to remember that I wouldn't want this to happen or that I don't, you know. And so I I do think hopefully that my gift to my kids will be that I leave pretty detailed instructions or preferences, you know, information about what I would like and do a good bit more planning, you know, than, than generations prior. I, I still think I'm probably one of these people that I try not to think about the period of decline, you know, the idea of laying in a, in a, in a bed and not being able to get out of bed without someone else's assistance. And, you know, am I going to be sitting there thinking, gosh, I'm a care manager, why didn't I do something different? Or am I going to be, or am I going to be thinking that I, I did all of the right things? And this is, this is short, this is temporary, you know, this is a small, small amount of my, of my life. So, you know, when we make visits and see people, we know that sometimes we're the, in some cases, we're the only people that visit them all week. And that gives you pause for your attitude that you have going in. And, I think the best thing that I can do is spread awareness and try to energize younger people to be enthusiastic about aging and about older adults, because I want to have someone like me coming bedside and engaging with that person. And I know that I walk away and and I've made their week because of that interaction. And I I need there to be people like that for me. <laughs> and statistically, the chances of that happening are, are, are low with, you know, we, we will be a population of older adults, predominantly older adults. And so that's that has been one marked way that my philosophy of this has changed is that I feel a sense of urgency to get younger people interested in working with older adults and seeing the things that I see, the richness of their lives, the value that they can still make, you know, the value that they can bring to one person's life or to a community's life. And I think that it, the more people that we have that can see that, the more likely I'll be able to have a positive aging experience, even if I'm the person laying in the bed waiting for someone to come provide care for me. Well, I hope not. And I hope <laughs> that if that does happen, it's quite a long time from yes. now. <laughs> Jennifer Sakai, thank you so much for spending time together with me today for the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. Thank you. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Queen City